brace yourselves for the unknowable horror of The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. A Lovecraftian RPG audio drama, live tabletop role-playing turned into a cinematic experience of eldritch nightmares and black comedy. Our latest adventure into the unknown is called The Terrible Secret of Lot X, and it's out now. You'll meet wealthy occultist Estelle Thorpe, whose latest auction win is a Pandora's box of dark secrets. And to solve the paranormal mysteries that she's uncovered, she'll have to assemble an unlikely crew of curiosity seekers. Together, they encounter an unholy conspiracy that may rip their sanity to shreds. Head to CthulhuMystery.com or find the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program wherever you procure fine podcasts. Succumb to the maddening call of Cthulhu. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh, All in the name of Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. I'm Michael Rothman, Michael Trashmouth Rothman, contrary to what uh, others may think on this podcast and some of the fans out there. Uh, but this is another edition of Collecting King. It's been a while since we've done a Collecting King episode, if only because we've been so busy with Stephen King's actual books, in addition to Castle Rock, in addition to our film festival, in addition to everything else that is life. This is a good one, though. This is a really good one, because not only do we have a collector, but we have a writer, a real writer. So this is, uh, this is a very exciting. I am here with Jason Pellegrini. Uh, would you introduce yourself, Jason? Hey, I mean, you pretty much did it. <laughs> I'm Jason Pellegrini. I'm an author from uh, Long Island, New York. Big, big King fan. And uh, yeah, I'm really psyched to be on here. I'm getting over a cold, so if I sound miserable at any point, it's the cold. But I'm really psyched to be on here. <laughs> oh, we got a little Captain Trips over there. You starting to cough and yeah, yeah, yeah. starting to feel the uh, flu bug? Or uh, is it? Yeah, no, I'm never sick, so it's just perfectly timed that i get a cold the one time the year i probably get cold right when i have to do this yeah yeah it happens it happens and especially in november um the tail end of november going into december i feel like i've always every anytime i've gotten like strep throat or bronchitis or anything that uh puts me in bed for at least a week that is around this time of the year for sure Um, yeah, last time I did anything radio or podcast related, I had a cold too, and it was like the only time of the year I got a cold. So apparently, if I book anything that involves me speaking, I'm going to get sick because somebody's out to get me. <laughs> yeah, I guess anytime that you get an opportunity, you should just like buy like a, a, a tube of vitamins and just you know just keep chewing on them all day or something. But well, yeah, I'm you, you, you sound good on on my end, and uh, I think the the listeners will be able to pretty much tell what you're saying. Uh, but if you do have to cough or if you do have to sneeze. You know, we'll uh, we'll be very forgiving in this episode. Um, but, Thank you. you know, we've already made some references to King, and uh, you clearly got the Captain Trip for the Captain Trips reference. So uh, let's go back to the beginning and uh, talk about how long you've been reading Stephen King, and uh, maybe you know what was the how did you first hear about uh, the Master of Horror? Well, first of all, I didn't start reading until my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. um, as a writer, I feel ashamed to admit that, but it's the truth. I'm going to own it. Um, but 
Stephen King, I think, for everyone who's grown up in the 90s, um, he's just embedded. Like, I can't even remember the first time I heard of Stephen King. You just know who he is. Yeah. Um, so in 2000 and, I guess, 7, 2008, I decided I want to give uh, my hand at writing, see how good I was at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had a write, I had a writer friend who actually got me into it. So I asked him for any advice. And I'm like, what's your, you know, anything that can get me going? He's like, um, on writing by Stephen King, read it. Oh, and then I had another friend who actually attended college for writing. And he had said, on writing Stephen King, it was taught to us in one of our classes. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick up on writing by Stephen King. So I picked up on writing and... I loved it. It was some great advice in there by him, but as I'm, he's referencing Carrie, The Shining, and all these you know, stories that he was written in. I had no idea they were Stephen King stories, especially when you get to like Shawshank and you know, The Body, which yeah. became Stand By Me, and The Green Mile. My mind is blown. I'm like, because Green Mile, before I even knew Stephen King had written it, was one of my favorite movies. So I'm seeing all these familiar titles from you know, my, growing up. So I said, I'm going to read these because one of the things King says in on writing is if you want to be a writer, you have to read. So I'm like, well, I'm going to read all these Stephen King stories. And um, that was pretty much it. After that, I picked up, I think Misery was the first one I read. And after that, I was hooked. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, one of the things that we've really, one of the big revelations of this podcast, for sure, as we're going through each one of his books chronologically, is just how varied he is. And, you know, it's 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 such a, it's just really not fair to just call him the master of horror, for sure, or just a horror writer, because he does write so many different styles, um, you know, of storytelling. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, with the Green Mile, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting for me for my big oh my god that was Stephen King moment was really like Stand by Me I think from for sure because you know they kind of couch his name in there it's like oh based on the story by Stephen King in the credits but as a kid like you know I don't really look at that you know for the most part it was always just like oh there are the four kids I'm just gonna go right into this and didn't even you know it was an afterthought that it was actually Stephen King and now that you know we're so entrenched in his works. It is still such a revelation when you find any of his dramatic short stories, um, you know, like uh, the, the Last Rung on the Ladder and Night Shift and um, anything that was in different seasons. It's just like, I can't believe this is the same writer. And yeah, I mean, for me, that's that, that's that been one of the most rewarding experiences doing this podcast for sure is uh, seeing how he can just jump from one genre to the next. And uh, it's it just, it just speaks to his strengths as a writer. And also is like, you know, I wondered, you know, when you were going and studying into writing, was there like this sort of insistence that like genre writing was kind of frowned upon? Like, you know, like for me, my experiences in college were always like, Oh, you, Oh, you're going to write a horror story or there's ghosts in this. Like, no, we're here to write literary fiction. And that you used to always just like, uh, just like get under my skin so much. Did you have like similar, did you have like similar experiences, uh, you know, in your, uh, academic experience? Um, not so much in the academic, but as I started like writing and I realized, Hey, this is something I could do mm-hmm. like more story ideas come to me. And like, I personally, from what I've even published to what, you know, is in my head, they're just all over the place. And King, he's just proof that, like, you don't have to be one genre, even though that people call him horror. And if you look at his collection, uh, I don't even say most of it's horror, because it's not. It's just all yeah. over the place. 
It really um, is. So the fact that like he's the author I gravitated to and you know, it's really inspirational or, you know, makes it optimistic that says, I don't have to write just this. Cause my first book was a thriller, but mm-hmm. my second book that I really wanted to write was historical fiction and science fiction. But I, I, you know, I didn't have to continue on writing thrillers because I'm not James Patterson or you know, anyone <laughs> who just writes in that genre. And then it's great. And that speaks a lot about his ability and, you know, and nobody should have to write just one genre. I agree. You know, you're, you're writing to write, you're writing to write. Yeah. I mean, as, as, as a writer, it's just, it's so unfortunate to be pigeonholed into one thing. And I think that's, I think honestly, like most writers feel that way. I think if success deems that, oh, they're great in this genre, obviously they're going to continue to keep going to that well. But I do feel like deep inside, everyone does want to just keep doing something different. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I, 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 but I feel like variety no. is, 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 you know, king, no pun intended. Um, no, I think so. Even in, in things, I know I just poked fun at Patterson, but even he's tried his, you know, luck at other stuff. Oh, yeah. Even like, you know, it, it, literature, even music. I mean, people made fun of, I don't get off King too much, but people made fun of Metallica in the mid 90s because they tried different music. Like, yeah. They probably just didn't want to keep writing heavy metal for the last, they did it for a decade. They were probably like, let's try something new. You know, everyone who's an artist should, you know, branch out and experience something new. And King's been, King pretty much said, screw it. I'm going to do it since the beginning. Like different seasons was what, 80, I'm going to probably get this wrong. Early 80s, right? Yeah, it was like the early 80s. And and, and it, it kind of really did show that it was like a big detour for him, I, I think for sure. But at the same time, like, I feel like even Night Shift was, it shows the kind of flares for that. Like, and even with parts of Carrie, you know, the, even his first book, there are a lot of dramatic, you know, sequences in that book that i mean it's a teen drama for the most part i mean it, it, they're obviously telekinetic uh, telekinetic powers and supernatural elements in it but i mean i think for the most part if you really had to sum up carry it really does come down to like a teen drama i mean and, and it's and i think it's unfortunate that um you know obviously the next book he goes into is vampire you know heavy salem's lot so yeah he does make a name for himself in these earlier books but yeah i, I think that maybe even from the beginning there was always that that sign that yeah he could do more um and i and i you know not every writer can do that i mean like you had mentioned even like patterson or even like john grissom has tried to do his own things and that hasn't worked and so he keeps staying to like the legal thrillers and such but um yeah i i think variety is is absolutely paramount and i think that's honestly why king has been so universal for so long because he can connect in such a you know like a kind of a broad spectrum of things. Like you had mentioned your first book was misery. And while that's definitely horror per se, it is more of like a thriller, you know? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's more of just like a suspense thriller um, than the kind of the, the typical horror story. I would imagine, you know, I would argue, I mean, we, I, we haven't really delved into that book yet. That's going to be like our first book going into 2019. But you know, when you were, when you were reading misery was there, did you feel that like you were reading a horror story? No, and I don't really feel that for a lot of his stories, even the ones that, that maybe other than like Salem's Lot. Because King, I feel, is always, he's always about the, the people and what's going on in the story and that the people in the story are so very human um, and we can relate to them. And he, I feel like he just throws in supernatural elements or something scary. Like even with The Stand, it's just about like what these people how they're reacting in like, you know, this time of apocalypse. Yeah. 
so so much that like the apocalypse and everything that happens with flag is sometimes for me on the back burner because I'm so into like what's going on with like these humans, mm-hmm. like, these people. Yeah. And yeah. so with misery, it's Annie Wilkes was it was it wasn't horror to me. I mean, there were some scenes in it that were horrific, but it was just like the psychotic woman and this man trapped <laughs> and. You know, I don't think of it as, as horror. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's. I think it, a lot of it gets down to. I mean, the brass tasks of it is that you know when you go and look at misery, it's got the big red letters, it's got the axe, it's got this sort of element of oh, it's Stephen King and his kind of legend precedes himself there uh, a little bit for sure. Um, but you know, when you're reading misery, what was it about that book and? you know, his work in general that pretty much like caught your attention that made you go like, all right, I want to keep going you know, deeper on this. And how did that lead to like kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, fanaticism towards him? Well, uh, it's the way you're able to connect with characters. And that's always been it for King for me. Like agree, agree. somehow, somehow, I mean, not so much with misery because it's only really contained to the two people, mm-hmm. but there are King characters that are like, he goes on for pages about them and then they have like no real significance to his story other than like to die at the end of the page. But somehow he gets you to, to care about them. And that's just for small characters, his, his big characters, he just gets you to invest so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like misery, I read it and there were scenes in it. Cause I had seen the movie, I guess when I was younger, yeah, and uh, spoiler alert: the um, <laughs> the scene, the humbling scene, is in a with the the block isn't in the book. Yeah, it's no, they changed that. More, yeah, yeah, far more disturbing. And I was like, holy! Cra-. I think that was the first time like I read something that I was like, holy crap! <laughs> yeah, um, and I also had a friend who was like, God, you know, forget misery, <laughs> read films a lot. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna read Salem's Lot, and then then it was like, you know, I was off the races after Salem's Lot. Well, and that's like, a, I, and that's a book that has so many characters, and I feel like that's like his first real example of like not only just world building, but just even just character building. I mean, like the 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 whole ensemble of that book is so unreal, and it, it does have like the DNA and the roots to towards the stand because you get just such an assortment of. Um, you know, different characters coming from different places for sure. But even though if, even if it's all like centralized in one town. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just read, I didn't reread it, but I, uh, listened to the audible of Salem's lot. Um, and it just reminded me of like, um, you know, how he's able to like just build these towns. And so it was so important because the town itself, this is said over and over again, it's overkill. Even probably on the podcast, his towns are characters in their own. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in every one of his books, like for the most part, even like something small, like you know, it, I guess it's like some small like elevation that just came out. It helps that Castle Rock is such a character already in previous books. But I mean, even like with something like Duma Key, uh, granted that's a huge book, but you get so much of the town area from that. Um, even though it's pretty much isolated to just the house and the surrounding houses in there, but he, yeah, he has such a good attention to detail. And I, and I think that's for me personally, like second to character, perhaps I feel like detail is always something that, that makes me 
keep reading, you know, like I just want to, because you feel like you're really there and you, it's almost like you really do escape. And like, you know, reading obviously is such a huge, you know, it's an escape. It's like anything in pop culture, but with him, there's just seems to be such a lived in experience that I always get, I always romanticize any book that I get to read with him because I really do feel like I escape into somewhere else. And I think that's for me personally, that's, that's what's obviously connected me to his works for so long. Um, you know, is that escape? Yeah, I, I, I definitely get, I get sucked into his work more than I do any other ones. Like I, I'll admit, like I have definitely have adult ADD where I am, if I'm reading and it's not grabbing me and pulling me in, my, my mind goes elsewhere. And, um, I'm like, did I just read a page? What what just happened? But King, for the most part, <laughs> he has his, he definitely has his, his moments. But for the most part, I'm, I'm like sucked in, and it's the char- Sometimes I can't even like pinpoint it. Almost like it's definitely the characters. It's just his ability, like how he tells the story. He's so free flowing in his narratives. Yeah. Um, just everything about King. I mean, for me personally, um, just I don't know how you can't get sucked into his stories, whether you're into that kind of, you know, horror or science fiction or not. It's just the characters alone. Like I said, it's more of a character study than it is like horror. Yeah. You know, like I couldn't imagine, you know, not liking to, I'm not a big thriller fan, but like for the most part by finders keepers, I was into like characters and stuff in that, you know, the Hodges trilogy. Yeah. And, and, you know, and characters are so important to make sure that any, you know, obviously for any story, but especially for horror for me and for thrillers and any type of genre writing, because a lot of the times so much of genre writing has to fall on certain tropes that you're expected. So it's really about, you know, about the characters that are going to enliven in it and make sure that it's different and, and it's more substantial than, you know, the, the, the kind of typical go around that you have in that sort of field, whether it's vampires or apocalyptic, you know, storytelling or, um, you know, something like Pet Cemetery with like the animals. And so, you know, for, for, for me, I have I have like a, a, a smorgasbord of characters that I just love over the years. But um, what was the first character that you really connected to that? Um, maybe you either saw yourself in or just something that really like made you think like, Ooh, this is a, this is a unique King character. And I, this is why I read his books. <laughs> oh, those are two different <laughs> questions. The first one I um, connected with in which I, I didn't really think about until I was, you know, given a list of like things we might talk about in this podcast. So I guess really I started to look back and, now I'm in my thirties, I guess, um, Gordy from stand by me yeah, ha- has to be the, I guess the first one I would have, you know, really connected with because I read, st- I'm sorry, he's saying stand by me, the body. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. No, I it's, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> I, I, they, they, um, they, most people, most of the fans, you know, we'll call it that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So now that I'm in my mid thirties, which is still very young, I find myself reflecting so much on like, you know, that, that passage from what it was when I was a child or even like a teen to like where I am now in life and where I'm going in life. And not that any of my, my friends are like dead as it ends up in stamp, uh, the body, but you know, we don't, it's not what it used to be. And now like, um, that pretty much the body, the body, it's like what it's like to grow up and you yeah. know, lose that innocence. Isn't that the, the fall from innocence? The yeah. fall of innocence. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back in retrospect, that's probably the first character. Real, I don't say not the only one, but 
probably have a few that I can really resonate with, um, for, you know, as far as me, my own personal experiences go. Well, it makes as sense. <laughs> I mean, you're a writer. As far as characters <laughs> I enjoy, I, I definitely enjoy, you know, the Losers Club. Um, well, there was a bunch of them. I liked, uh, I just listened to sounds like the, uh, oh, what's his name? The teacher, the English teacher. Oh, uh, Matt? Uh, yeah, the Van Helsing. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, I love Matt. Yeah, he was he was great. He, he's definitely my favorite character in that book for sure, especially since Ben Mears kind of gets to just be the um, the kind of go-to hero hunk. We, we always talk about how Ben Mears is kind of the more um, boring protagonist when compared to the surrounding characters. I mean, he's no Stu Redman. He's no, um, uh, he's no like Bill Dembro. Oh, I love Stu. Yeah. Stu's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's so funny because a lot of these characters after seeing the movies, I always have to attribute it to the actors, uh, for sure. Some of them get away. I, some of them I get to visualize, uh, differently, but yeah, I, I, I tend to always associate them with whoever I see in the movies afterwards, unfortunately. But, um, so Stu is always one that's going to be like, Oh, Gary Sinise. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's oh, unless they finally get to redo it. I know. I know. Or, or- God, well, they're working but on I, it right I'm now. Not, I'm not, I'm not keeping my fingers crossed because it's been what almost ten years now. Yeah, and that's going to direct it. Then yeah, it's not. Then it's going to happen. It's going to be three movies. Now it's not, and who knows? Yeah, it's 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 really weird because you'd think like after the success of it, I mean, I was convinced that we were going to hear that project go right into um, you know pre production because it's easily one of the more iconic books of his. And it's the one that really demands that sort of like cinematic adaptation because they've only really done it through Mick Garris's TV adaptation in 94 for ABC. And, you know, it's it, it's still bewildering to me that they're only just writing this script for it. And it's it's disappointing that it's only going to be on CBS All Access. So we've definitely... Uh, we've, oh, we've we expressed our, yeah, yeah. Josh Boone is currently working with, uh, with CBS and they're trying to get another you know, mini series going, which I guess is fine. But at the same time, I, I really wanted like a three part movie, you know, um, which would have been cool. Yeah. But, but yeah, no. So, you know, when you, when you read one of the, one of the questions I always love asking um, any fan is, do you have any like music that you particularly listen to um, while you're reading? Do you go at it alone or is there a go-to artist? Do you change it up every book? Like, what, what are your reading habits? Uh, it has to be quiet. I can't yeah. even have like somebody talking in the next room. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I get distracted. Yeah. Um, my biggest pet peeve is somebody like trying to have a conversation with me while I'm reading. I'm like, dude, what do you think I'm doing? It's like I'm wearing my headphones at the gym. Why are you come and talk to me? I'm reading a book. Yeah. Um, no, I, I can't. Music is my other passion, so I'll just get you know sucked into sucked into that, and uh, I want to know what I'm reading. So I like it. I like it quiet. I don't like my phone near me. Like I just want to yeah. be involved in whatever i'm reading oh totally totally i i, I get that way with um with with reading for sure except that i, I can hand, i like instrumentals for the most part um you know if like i have like some scores in the background or maybe some ambient music or something like that i, I tend to do that but yeah it's it's i i do tend to get distracted from anything else that's like if there are any voices or any like lyrics i can't do it so it's just that's just not gonna happen <laughs> well king says when he writes he's like listening to like acdc and yeah. metallica and, and guns and roses and i'm like i couldn't do that yeah 
like forget it i'd be too busy like getting psyched up by the music and just like i couldn't be in my own world <laughs> which is kind of funny because i'd love to know exactly what songs he was listening to when he was writing particular passages you know just so i could like see what type of cadence he was maybe the songs were you know informing him as he's writing you know like what if he was listening to i know he, he love you know he loves like acdc as you mentioned and he put it all through maximum overdrive but i'd love to just like imagine the the whole apocalyptic sequences that happened in book three of the stand and he's just like listening to like nothing but um you know back in black and like, <laughs> like all these yeah, songs I mean, that just it, changing the way he's writing it music definitely speaks to you i mean there, there's times that music definitely helps me set a mood for like something i want to write or even inspires me to write something based off like the mood of a song or the lyrics of a song but i can't have that music on while i'm writing yeah you know, even if it was what even if what inspired the story i'd be i wouldn't be able to get anything done so even yeah so even when writing wow so that, that, that it's just silent you have to have silence for sure yeah absolute absolute silence and it's funny because i do my best writing somehow at if i'm if i can't get anything at home i'll take my stuff and i'll, I'll go to the bookstore which there is noise. Somehow I'm able to drown that out. Yeah, it's like a white I guess noise. It's a case by case. Yeah, yeah, it's white noise. Like I can't have music because that'd be very specific. I'll find myself like singing along to some Metallica song or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, going from you know being connecting to King. How did you start collecting King? Because you know, based on your Instagram, because you got a you got a lot of uh, great books here. I mean, uh, on your Instagram account, uh, Jason Pellegrini Books you've amassed uh, quite a following, you know, obviously because you're a writer, but also I, you know, it has to be too, because you've got a great collection. I mean, you've got some first editions I see here. Uh, you got a collection of Funko pops. I love, um, the stranger things collection that you have here. Cause I'm a huge stranger things fan too. So that is fun. But when did you start getting into that? And, and what were some of your first books? So, I mean, I just went and got out when, it, when, it, I got, when I decided I was going to read King, I went out to the Barnes & Noble, bought his bookshop at the time. Uh, I just bought all of these paperbacks. Yeah. Um, they don't even make them anymore. I forgot. Maybe Signet or whoever puts out his, that's probably completely wrong. Whoever puts out his paperbacks. No, Signet does. So yeah, you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> okay. And I got a bunch of those. And, you know, just because I was, you know, binging on King. And then I was like, I guess I decided one day where I was like, I don't want these paperbacks. I want. He's all of his stuff in hard in hardcover. I think the first hardcover I got was so Joyland came out in 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, he came out publicly and said there's going to be no hardcover that can be bought in the store yet, and there's going to be no digital yet. He wanted it like that paperback for whatever reason, something nostalgic reason for him. Um, but there were a few websites that were putting out. Um, hardcover copies and i think i got one was doing like a one one of uh, 120 like i got one of 120 yeah um jesus <laughs> what's i believe it was in england well it was 120 that were just the book uh another 120 that was signed and i think there was another 120 maybe him and the artist signed it but there were there were not a lot um, printed and I think I got like the last ones of like the non-signed ones um, so after that that was hardcover and that was um, I thought it was really cool so I was like alright I'm going to go on eBay and I'm going to see what else they got and then you can just people don't know what they're giving away because oh, people yeah. just like here's 20, bu- 20 bucks for 20 Stephen King hardcover books so I'm like <laughs> alright that's cool I am got it um, 
that's where I get the first, I get the first edition of it. Um, I have the first edition, I believe, of the extended stand. I got all that for like dirt cheap on eBay and even uh, thrift stores. Oh um, yeah, yeah, thrift I stores love- are great. That's my, those are my favorites I love to go to. Book shopping in thrift stores, and when we talk about other authors that I enjoy, I got a good thrift store story, thrift store book story find for that. But yeah, you know, I pretty much did eBay and I did um, thrift stores, and that's where I got all you know. That's where I got all my Stephen King hardcover books. No, I mean it's fun. I mean it's one of my favorite pastimes is whenever I can find. Um, you know, whenever I can find actual first editions or no, not even first editions, but if I can find bookstores, I mean, there used to be a ton of used bookstores here in Chicago and over the past couple of years, they've just been fading away, but oh my God, I would just haunt these stores nonstop. And the guy, you know, the people that would run it would all know. And sometimes they'd even just tell me like, look, I have nothing new. You were just here two weeks ago and cleaned out my King and you know, that <laughs> come back in a few weeks. Um, and it was fun though because it's you know you develop some relationships and it's 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 just a, it's a blast and I agree I, I mean I think there's something about the hardcovers that I guess authentic isn't the right maybe it is the right word I mean they, they feel authentic to me like they feel like this is what he intended to put out you know um, and and they they feel oh, definitely I feel like that yeah I yeah feel like I have a much completer collection <laughs> totally and, and there's just something about seeing the artwork and I I don't know if it's just in today's era where I'm, I'm it's funny because like i'm usually a big fan of like minimalism and like minimalistic art and all but i just feel like the the book covers today are just like so boring compared to what they were in like this the, the 60s and 70s and the 80s especially with king because there was so much attention that was you know built into making those covers flourish and to catch your eye and especially as they're growing his name and gosh there's like there's just so many of them that like that really really kind of um haunt me even more than the book itself sometimes which is weird um you know like growing up like the shining used to scare me so much when it was in my dad's uh you know bookcase and then i read the book and i was like it's still scared but there's still something about that cover that actually haunted me even more um you know for you what it, what would you say are like some of the scariest covers that you know that has definitely stuck with you over the time well it's funny that you say that because the earlier ones to me are like they're there's not much to them. I mean, maybe The Shining, I can get where you're coming from with that. But I never, I don't get the first edition print of Carrie. It's like yeah, I don't an either. Asian <laughs> woman behind a door or a curtain. I'm like, what is this? This yeah. is nothing at all to do. Um, and then a lot of it's just that like red on white print, the red on black with the white Stephen King. Like, I don't know. His later stuff, I think, was, uh, I think the, the cover of the Finders Keepers is, extremely creepy yeah yeah no no i just the pool of blood yeah i love that no i i think with hardcovers for sure i think with and but even with like the paperback adaptations for some of the older ones they still had some sort of like unique style to it but i I think the problem for me is that like once they get once they've reissued them through one publisher they kind of do that uniform sort of style and for me, it just loses something, you know, I, I still get them because I like having them when I'm reading because I don't really like reading with uh, the hardcovers just because I don't want to ruin them and all. But um, unless I'm at home, but, you know, like you, you see a lot of the reissues with uh, some of his old classics like Harry Sam's Law, The Shining, The Stand, and they all have that sort of same minimalistic 
art that's on the front that I don't know for me it's just always kind of taken away some of the character of the story for me when you look back on some of the older paperbacks on there and they all looked unique like they all had that sort of signature value to it and um and value as in like like cultural value not like as in like you know financial value although they all do have yeah, you yeah, know, no, certain financial values to them but um yeah you know so for, for me like um definitely the shining st- stuck with me but like is there any ones that like even just by cover alone that you that that really caught your eye i mean you mentioned finders keepers finders keepers um it's i know the, oh, yeah. the, the first edition it is classic yeah. um I'm actually staring at my bookshelf right now. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's all the spines. Yeah. I'm going to start pulling them out one by one. I do have the illustrated edition of Sound Lot staring at me. Oh, my God. I want that so bad. Uh, that is so cool. Um, uh, what I really want is uh, the Cemetery uh, Dance edition mm-hmm. of Salem's Lot. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's like $800. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's another thing that's kind of hard about these these the collecting is like the financial part of it definitely kind of takes a hit, especially because I'm obsessive by design. Just uh, it just comes from my family, I guess. And um, when it when I really started getting into book collecting, it it, it kind of transformed my vinyl collecting into that, and it it became like rabid. Like I just I couldn't stop thinking about like well, I'm traveling. There's got to be a bookstore here. I got to go in here and look at the books and find it. And I still do that to this day. But is that has that been something for you that, that you've is it become an obsession almost? Uh, the collecting of the books? Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like trying to find yeah, them. Yeah, you know, I definitely love I definitely love collecting books. I love the way it looks on my bookshelf. Um, and like I said, I, I always try to, I've been kind of grateful because I don't want to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but I've had, I guess, like, I guess I can call them fans at this point who have mailed me some either signed or rare Stephen King books. Like I have a hardcover, a hardcover copy of cycle of the werewolf. Man, that's awesome. Which is like nearly, nearly close to impossible. Somebody sent me the Bachman books collection. Um, Somebody was looking for rage for me, but they couldn't find a a, a edition that was in good condition, which would have been the, the old, I think rage is like a Holy grail. If you can get a hardcover copy of, oh yeah, of rage. That's the Holy Grail of Stephen King. Yeah, I still haven't even found like a paperback version of that at all. And it's all I find is when it's like wedged in the the Bachman books for sure. Like, I, yeah, that's that's definitely one that I've even at book fairs, which is the the most dangerous thing I could possibly go to. Um, and I've been to a few of them, and you know they have them for like seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Like I think at one point I saw like Carrie first edition for like and it was signed too. It was like upwards to like 300 or three, no $3,000 or something like that. And I just was like, all right, I need to walk away from here, but I've never seen rage. I've, it's like, it's just, it is, you're right. It's like, it is this Holy grail for what I consider to be one of his worst books, but it's still, it's just like the idea of it, that the okay, fact that, 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 that it's just like they, they, the fact that they pulled it, it's just, it makes it so much harder to find. And yeah, even on eBay, I've never really kind of, I've never really seen it for like, I've seen like paperbacks, but I've never seen the hardcover for sure. Um, yeah so yeah rage and i was so tempted once to nearly drain my savings account <laughs> on a first american print of dracula oh wow i know that's not, i know that's not Stephen king but no they're, no they're seriously go all in <laughs> they're, they're out there and they're available and i was so tempted like it would it wouldn't have rendered me poor but <laughs> it would have definitely taken a big hit to my savings but uh, you know, better judgment intervened and I stepped away. But if I ever hit that big book deal or make it, that's the first thing I'm gunning for. Yeah, I think I think everyone should have that sort of 
quote unquote holy grail for themselves. I, that's what I always call them. And for, for a while, it's for me personally, it's still finding a, a first edition of The Shining, which I see you have uh, right next to your Jack Torrance figure um, next to Dr. Sleep in one of your recent photos. Um, and uh, yes, no, that's actually a, so. I'll tell you a story. First of all, that's that's a reprint. Oh, okay. From Double Day. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was my sounds lot, my sounds lot, and my night shift are all uh, just reprints. Maybe they had like a nostalgia, of, you know, they felt like being nostalgic. But before I started collecting King in hardcover, I was at a thrift store, um, and there was I found a first edition of The Shining. Oh, wow. So the the I guess I don't know. Uh, entrepreneur or whatever I want to call it in me, I'm going to buy this for three bucks and I'm going to sell it. <laughs> yeah. So I, it goes for a whole lot more than two fifty, but the guy at work was like, I can only give you two fifty for it. My girlfriend loves Stephen King. So I was like, I put it for three bucks. Yeah, absolutely. I'll sell it for 50 bucks. <laughs> now I am collecting all these Stephen King books and I'm like, I had it and I don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anymore. Yeah. But I'm happy with the, this reprint. No, that's not a, uh, first edition, but I believe the my carry is a first edition. I was giving me as a gift from an ex girlfriend, and she said it was the person who sold it to her claimed it was. But there are, are markings apparently that prove it's the first edition that I can't seem to find. But every website is different on yeah. what it tells you on the specific markings, so it may or may not be a first edition of carry. Oh, interesting! Interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's because it, even the, the like the the numbers or the numerology that's on there, I believe is the same for a lot of the reprints too. So it's hard to yeah, um, it, yeah, it's really hard to distinguish those. Because I I definitely found um, a republishing a reprint of uh, Carrie when I was in one of my finds because I remember like w- w- scanning through a really old thrift store and found it and I was like oh my god and then I looked and I was just like no this is way too new there's no way that this is an old first edition of it. But you're it, it's funny that you mentioned the cover for that because I always bring that up because it's like. It's it's so clear that they had no idea who they were selling at this point. It was like, oh, a teenage girl. Okay, let's just you know style it like all the other um, sort of teen dramas of the time. And it, it, yeah, it's it's so it, it's such a disappointing cover compared to you know his whole lexicon of works. But um, there is something charming about it because I, I I love the '70s. So I, looking back on it, it's kind of fun to to see. But it, yeah, it doesn't seem emblematic of King at all. <laughs> Uh, it, it baffles my mind. Like, I, <laughs> if I look at it, I'll get frustrated. Like, I don't understand this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I tweeted about it once. Some person like reaching far out there was like, "Well, I don't even know what the explanation she gave, but she tried to give an explanation." And I was like, "No, you are just that. That's that's just wrong. That's not. I guess it's up for interpretation, but like, I highly doubt that's what the publisher was going for. Whatever the reason she gave was, but she was definitely reaching. But it makes no sense to me. Like, like you said, it, somebody was just like." We're just, it's about a girl. Here we go. Here's a girl. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. Well, you had mentioned, you know, uh, you know, Twitter and you have hell of a following on there. Um, and I wanted to know, how did you get a, you know, how did that, that start? You know, how did you get the following on Instagram on, and on Twitter? And, you know, how did you get, first off, I imagine it's from your writing and, and I feel like we should probably go back to that and see how that journey started, you know, and how did that, how did you get yourself out there? Well, I published in 2015, and um, I was trying to figure out how to get myself out there. And uh, a friend's girlfriend told me, she's like, you know, are you on Twitter? And I was like, yeah, but I don't really get Twitter. And she's like, well, you better figure it out, because if you don't, you're not going to do anything in writing, or anything for that matter. Yeah. So I was like, all right. 
So, you know, the way I handle Twitter and the way I handle Instagram are, are two very different things. Um, Twitter, I'll just, you know, follow people and, you know, and they'll follow back. And then, you know, I help to keep their attention by my content. I target like Stephen King, um, his followers who are active and, you know, good reads. And uh, a lot of times people follow me back and then they'll unfollow me because maybe they just don't like my stuff. But a lot, a lot of people get interested and I've been selling a lot, a lot of books from, you know, from, from that kind of interaction on Twitter. Totally. Um, in fact, people, people reach out to me and they're like, I just bought your book because I liked your, t- you tweeted th- about this and you tweeted about that and you seem pretty cool. So your writing can't be that bad or you like Stephen King. So your writing can't be that bad. So I just have people, um, picking up my books just because it's the way I'm, you know, interacting on Twitter. And they yeah. say that, like, if you want to put, promote yourself on Twitter, you don't want to talk about your product. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do, yeah. but not as little as possible. Yep. And Instagram, I'm just doing it, you know, through hashtags and, you know, I'm not trying to follow people unless like I want to follow them because I actually look through my Instagram feed. Um, I don't look through my Twitter feed because most of it's toxic poison. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Instagram, I like seeing, especially the bookstagram stuff. I like seeing people's books and their book collections. So I'm I'm picky about who I who I follow. So that that's more of a natural, organic kind of uh, following on on Instagram. Yeah, I, I love Instagram so much. It's it's such a an escape from the hell that is social media. Sometimes we've been doing. Um, I've been with Consequence of Sound for over a decade now, and it's just the the followers that you sometimes you know get or the people that you, you that you follow and just the film twitter or the music twitter or even like book twitter sometimes it just becomes so insufferable on twitter because it's just everyone just shouting and it's just it just feels like vitriolic rage endless that including goes, Stephen, including Stephen King oh yeah no totally uh, totally I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I, I have no problem blowing up his spot sometimes I'll go through his feed and I'm like I can't I can't I gotta I, I, I <laughs> Somebody I enjoy so much is, is you know, not ruining my experience for him, but but I'm like, just stop. Yeah, like, no, tweeted, I... Not, we, to, not to go too much into politics, but he tweeted not too long ago, done with politics, and then the, the next three days was tweets about politics. Like, you said you were done. <laughs> tweet about something else. Yeah, Please no. Just tweet about something else. I know, and it's, it's we've had to actually, we created a... Um, a rule on the needful tweets episodes that we can't, we won't talk about any of the politics um, because it's, you know, it's divisive and it doesn't really lead anywhere for our conversations on the podcast. But it, ever since we made that sort of agreement, it's, pretty much nullified like every tweet that he's done so we'll just like you know cherry pick like four or five out of a month that we could actually talk about yeah, I, you know it's just i was going to ask you when was the last time you actually had that segment on your show because <laughs> he doesn't tweet about much these days but whatever like, yeah like I said, instagram instagram is such a nice way to get away from that yeah because i mean there's a little drama over there sometimes but it's so easy to ignore and there are just some great great people over there yeah and it, it started as me trying to promote my book on there but i was like i want to get into like i want to do what all these other people are doing i want to show off my book collection and my pop collection and you know i just want to and like i said with twitter through you know what i like people take interest in my writing so yeah i get to do something that's fun for me that doesn't feel like i'm working and in you know in addition to that i got people taking interest in what i love to do which is awesome i mean i i I think that the one of the greatest things I love about Bookstream so much is that 
it, it really does get to embellish your personality in a way that isn't affronting to anyone. It's just if you like that, you like that. If you don't, then you're not following that. There's no, you know, I, I rarely ever see someone on put something polarizing on Instagram unless it's a real total asshole that is posting really just dis, like disturbing and crazy stuff on Instagram because it's just so visual oriented. And, and, and I think that there's, if you can find that right finesse to kind of create your own style and, and, and vibe, like it's just, it's, 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 it's addicting. I, I mean, I know for sure I wake up, the first thing I do when I wake up is, um, you know, is, is I definitely check Instagram and see what's going on and, and just spend like at least five to 10 minutes just to see what's, you know, who, who, what, what people are doing, what people are sharing. And, and with bookstagram, it's so much fun because it definitely connects with all my pop culture tendencies. And I see th- it's, it's also incredibly uh, dangerous because if there's any social media outlet out there, that's a- able to get money from me, it's absolutely Instagram. Cause I'll see something from like, you know, alley cat or, you know, fright rags. And I'll just be like, Oh wow. I didn't realize they've made a sweatshirt with, you know, Pascal on it. I need this. So, um, it's like, so that, that area gets kind of dangerous for me, but, um, you know, with, with, with bookstagram culture, like when did you find yourself getting into, like you, you really knew that you were into it and then you kind of realized like, Oh shit, I got to keep this up. (laughs) Um, maybe like, Oh, I don't know, like maybe like a year ago. I posted, it snowed out. So I took my um, Shining, I wrapped it in saran wrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I stuck it in the snow, and then I put the Jack Tor. I wish I had the Chase Jack Torrance. That I know, me but too. But I didn't have it. Yeah. I actually, it's in transit right now. But oh, anyway, wow. I, I nice. Stuck that in the, yeah, I stuck that in the snow next to it. And, you know, I used all the hashtags. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't have much of a following by that, but I got like 300 and something likes through hashtags and all that stuff so i was like people started following me i got like 15 followers at that time was huge still at that if it happened to me now that would be a big deal um yeah so i was like okay that was cool um like even goodreads because i think i used the goodreads with a view hashtag and they they posted it on their facebook page and their twitter page um so i was like all right so clearly did something right with this photo let me keep going and then I tried to get more fancy with my photos and, you know, what, uh, I, and, uh, you know, I started getting more likes and more follows off of it. And it just went from there. I mean, I'm still definitely in the beginning stages of it. Like compared to some of, I know you guys had, uh, Joanna. Yeah. Yeah. We She's started, like we started pretty tall 000. on that one. So, um, yeah, she, she's, she's approaching like 30,000 and I'm like at like 2,100. I'm like, yay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you your following on Twitter is 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 insane. It's like the, you have a, a huge, huge following there. Um, so I imagine that's like, do you, do you prioritize Twitter for mostly over Instagram at this point, or do you still even you know how do you go about that? No, because I've actually I like Instagram so much that I've been favoring that, and I've noticed like a, a slight decline in in, in book sales. So from a uh, entrepreneur standpoint, I got to be like, I got to pay more attention to Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go back and I'll post my stuff there. Um, <laughs> just cause I want to keep selling books, but I, I just from like a personal enjoyment, I'm it's Instagram over Twitter a hundred percent. Cause like I said, I'm not looking at my Twitter feed unless I just want to be depressed. Yeah. So, right. Right. And honestly, I, I feel than, like in the long term plan, if you, if, if you are trying to, I feel like once you build up that following even more on Instagram, I feel like the, 
the the revenue will probably shift over, I would imagine, just because I feel you're going to get far more like minded folks that are on Instagram that are just I mean, I'm speaking personally, too, just because when I see stuff. I feel that there's so much sponsored content on Twitter that I'm always averse to like even just grabbing my wallet about stuff. Whereas like Instagram, I'm like, if there is something there and it's coming from somebody I trust, like I'm, there's just something about that that just connects with me for some reason. I don't know why. I, I think it's also, I think it's just visual. It's more visual based. And I think I just feel like, well, it's real. <laughs> so I got, I can get it. Whereas I don't know. There's just, there, there seems to be like an authenticity to, to Instagram that really speaks to me. And especially when somebody, especially when somebody cultivates a presence as you do on, on, on Instagram, for sure. I mean, like I, th- there is no doubt just from even just a, a cursory glance of your stuff that you put in time and, you know, effort into building your own aesthetic. I mean, I love what you do with the leaves. Like that's my, one of my favorite things, you know, to, to have looked on is to see like all the different leaves that you have and, um, and in the way that you kind of accentuate like the the post of the Funkos and you kind of create little collections too, which is kind of fun. Um, how did you go about building your own aesthetic? Like, was it, did you kind of take notes on from others or did you just kind of be like, well, let's just go with it. Cause I mean, you hit the, you hit a grand slam right out of the gate with the, with the frozen, you know, the Jack Torrance uh, or the frozen book in the shining. But yeah. Like, yeah. How- that, that was just me. And uh, it was snow and I was like, well, this is a good idea. Um, I, I've seen stuff on other people's pages, like the leaves I saw, and I was like, that's just something I like. Like, I'm not going to post something just because I think it's going to get me likes. Uh, although I do want to post stuff that's going to get me likes, but I'm going to include um, stuff that I like. It's the same thing with my, my writing. Like, I want to yeah. write what I like. Yeah. I also want to write what's going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. luckily, I, I've, I found a good balance of both. Um, so like the leaves, I went out, like some craft store that had the fall leaves. It's like a table decorative thing. And then, you know, I had, I had new wood floor that looked kind of like countryish. So I was like, if I put the leaves on top of the floor, put the book down, <laughs> oh, this looks really nice. Yeah. And then I started being, I started doing it for all the pictures. So at one point I was like, all right, I got to put the leaves away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then there's the Funkos. I, I really enjoy the Funkos. Oh yeah, and, I love them. Um, I, love them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I feel like I'm more addicted to Funkos now than I am with the books at this point, which is kind of troubling because Funko never stops. I feel like every... Oh every... no, they're, they're getting... I literally just picked up this morning Monica from Friends with the turkey on her head. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I'm still waiting for them to do Seinfeld. I don't know why. I, I know that I think Jerry's hold, the holdout for that, but um, I'm like dying for a Seinfeld collection. Um Seinfeld, The Office. I know. I don't. I can't believe The Office hasn't happened yet. I, I don't. I don't get that. Like, because I, I, I believe they did a. a I, I could have sworn that Steve Carell has allowed himself on on one of them for maybe Anchorman or something like that. But um, it just seems weird that they haven't done that yet. I mean, I feel like everyone would buy a Dwight Schrute or you know a Michael Scott figure. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, Dwight Schrute with the the plastic face on his face. Yes. The- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would love it. I mean, I, there there are some that I I I am absolutely you know dying for. Um, I mean, obviously the, the I think the gateway for me was Stranger Things. Um, I think that was the the first real big one for me. Um, that 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 kind of drew me in just because they're so I, every one of the characters in that show is so iconic looking that it's so easy to do a Funko for. Um, absolutely, mine was Juan Swanson. Yeah. Oh, nice. For nice. Parks and Rec. Yeah, I was like, I saw it. I'm like, I I need this. I'm I don't care about these dolls with big heads. If I need this, and then I'm like, oh, they have Buffy ones. Oh, they have Lord of the Ring ones. 
I was like, yep. Yeah. And then it just snowballed. Like, I know. I the latest one, like, Monica, I picked up George R. R. Martin. <laughs> wait, wait, the, the, his own author figure? They have a, they have one just for him? They have one just for him. Oh, my God. I, I, I heard somewhere, like, we, we just asked on our uh, Facebook if, um, you know, what, what are some Funkos that everyone would want from Stephen King? And somebody was saying that, like, they're doing one, they're doing an actual Stephen King one soon. Um, so that's well, they better. I, I know. Pick that up. That'd be great. That'd be great. So, what's what would you say is your they rarest are... Funko then? I mean, uh, you said that the Jack is in transit, but what about one that you currently have? Uh, on the shelf? Jack's in transit. Uh, I have a, and again, thanks for you know having fans because they <laughs> they they are generous and they send me stuff that you know I definitely I, I got all six original friends. Oh wow! <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna even say what the person who sent me that spent, but it was a pretty penny. Yeah. Uh, I have. Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein, Nosferatu. Nice, nice. So, so those are all those are all rare ones. Do you shift um, them, or do you that, have them all out at once? Do I? No, no. I, I have a I have a huge bookshelf, so that most of them are out of the package because most of them are they're not going to get you know appreciate in value. Um, so they just come out of the box. Yeah. Um, and then super rares like the Edward Scissorhands and Nosferatu, they're they're still in the box. The Friends, they're still in the box. Yeah. So I have space. So they're all they're all about. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, if you had if you could have one Funko, I mean, you already mentioned we we talked at the office and all, but if there was one that was in King's Dominion, uh, who would you want the most? In King's Dominion? Yeah, yeah. Other other than King? Yeah. Uh, Barlow. Yeah, that would be awesome. From aesthetic, like I'm gonna post this and I know it's gonna get a lot of likes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Annie Wilkes. Oh, Annie I love Wilkes. it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would be such a cool one to have, especially if they can make one with um Paul in the wheelchair or something like that, or like even like a bed deluxe thing like they do with the um the the storm drain for it. That would be so cool. Yeah, because I feel like I mean Barlow would be cool, but I feel like that whole lot of people know the character. Like, like, if you were to see that Funko on Instagram, unless you're a, a huge King follower, you're going to be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Annie Wilkes, you know, that's just, she's just an iconic, you know, figure by now. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Well, I guess this goes into the greatest hit section a little bit, which uh, which is my personal favorite part of this uh, Collecting King episode. And we've basically got to do like a speed round of like favorites and um, scariest and grossest and least favorites and stuff. So um, I want to start off with uh, your favorite Stephen King book. All right. So I did the top 10. Yeah. Oh, go for the top 10. Uh-huh. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Uh, 10, 10 Joyland. All right. Nice. Because it's definitely one of his most underrated. Uh, nine misery. Eight, Dolores Claiborne. Ooh. Seven, Carrie. Six, Needful Things. And just on note, Needful Things is probably his most underrated book. Yeah, I'm um, so excited. I still haven't read it yet, so I'm like, I'm dying to read that one. Um, that's the. It's it, it, it's going to be like, what? Where has this been all my life? Like for somebody <laughs> who I get that you have so many, so many popular pieces that one's going to you know slip through the cracks. But it's a shame that Needful Things isn't more like talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five is eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh, love that book so much, so much. Uh, eleven twenty two sixty three was actually the inspiration for my second book. Like oh, I was really? reading it, and I was like, "Yeah, I was like, it'd be cool if somebody wrote a book about the Abraham Lincoln assassination." And I was like, "Well, I guess I could do that." 
Oh, I so, love it. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the second book called? Booth. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to look for that one because I, I love historical fiction. I, it's just, I, I went to college for English and history. So it was like when I was like for a while when I was thinking about writing, I was like, what is like maybe historical? Maybe I could use some of the historical weight on there. So I'm, that sounds right up my alley. Can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. So um, four is it. And now three, two and one, I have them ranked, but they're kind of like interchangeable. Yeah. Like, yeah. So three is the Green Mile. Um, two is Pet Cemetery, and one is Salem's Lot. Oh wow! Okay, sweet, sweet. I love Salem's. Because all Lot. three of those gave me like an actual like um, I I can remember having some kind of emotional reaction to each one of those books in various forms of emotions. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd mentioned prior that uh, you you know Gordy spoke to you, um, but is he your favorite character? Is, no, Gordy's not my favorite character. Eddie Dean, he's definitely up there. Yeah. Or John Coffey. Ooh, nice, nice. Like, J- J- John Coffey was one of the <laughs> characters that really made me like emote big time. Yeah. Especially at the end, where he gives the whole. I think the the speech. I don't know if I've intertwined the speech in the book with the speech in the movie, or the the same thing where he talks about all the ugliness. Yeah, yeah. God, it's, it's I, a good. I a believe great that's in the book as well. I th- I, I yeah, think so. so. It's been a long, long time um, since I've read that because I, I remember reading like I don't even know if I finished all of it. I read like parts of the like I read the individual books and it was like you know all seven of them or something like that. But um, but yeah, that, that's that's a really good left field choice too because nobody I, I don't think coffee like, coffee is not you know typically mentioned a lot and especially not the Green Mile either. I think like I think that's a that's an interesting choice for sure. Um, yeah. Well, what about your favorite villain? All right, so for the last 10 years, it's been Barlow. Yeah. But um, up until earlier this year where I read Needful Things, Leland Gaunt, who you'll be introduced to when you read it, yeah. is definitely, definitely one of my favorite villains right now. And of course, you know, Pennywise and Randall Flagg, but those those two stick out above the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I lo- And I love, um, I've seen the movie Needful Things, which I heard is like not very... Um, you know, it's a good. I've heard it's a good, good adaptation, but it's not like the most faithful. And there's a lot that's cut out, cut out for sure. Um, so I think you'll like Needful Things because you went into how you like the, the town building, and yeah. you were you're already familiar with Castle Rock. But totally. like, I, I actually tweeted about the, not tweeted. I'm sorry, posted on Instagram a, a few days ago or like a week ago that Needful Things to me, and a lot of people agreed that's the Castle Rock book. Yeah, like if there's going to be more so than Cujo and even Dead Zone, that like build castle rock in the way that it built salem's lot or uh the stand even like world building so if you if you're a fan of like his world building you'll definitely love like how he sets up everything for needful things oh i can't wait yeah when we did our film festival that was signed around um castle rock over the summer castle uh, needful things was the last film that was set in castle rock that we put on the lineup and um surprisingly had a you know really good draw for that one so there seems to be this kind of underrated cult following for that movie for sure um but and i love that i just i love the whole aesthetic of the the cover for it it's one of my favorite covers of his and i've never read it yet so i'm like i'm just jonesing to get to that book it's such a cool cover even the latest um even the latest uh paperback print the cover is amazing it's so like again, I don't know how this this book has you know slipped through the cracks. It's just so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what is the scariest moment for you? So I have two. Um, 
I have two pretty much for all the questions you asked. <laughs> um, That's fine. <laughs> lost in the Woods. Lost in the Woods, Salem's Lot, where the two boys were lost in the woods. Yeah. Um, oh, that scene's so creepy. And then, <laughs> so, for me, it's not like supernatural stuff that scares me, because I know that, well, as far as we know, isn't real. Yeah. So, like, I'm like, oh, this is cool from a story standpoint, but it's not going to get me to, I know it can for some people, it doesn't get me to react. Mm-hmm. Being lost in the woods, if I can think of something, like a scenario, and put myself in that scenario and be like, I'd be creeped out being lost in the woods. Like when I read Gerald game, I had like legit anxiety because I was like, if I was handcuffed to a bed in the middle of nowhere and there was nobody around, holy crap. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other one was, I, I named it out in the snow for one for the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, the, the whole, the way he set that up is just so like It's dark except for the snow. You can't see in front of your face. They know like, I knew the history of Jerusalem a lot. They know the history of Jerusalem a lot. You just know you're heading towards something. Yeah. Just dread. Like, it's just, it's again, like, I imagine being there and emoting and it doesn't set, set well with me. <laughs> no, it's terrifying. I, I, that, that book, I mean, or that, that whole short story for me in the, the way that he, you never see anything per se. It's kind of just in the background or, um, until, yeah, until the little girl. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. I love that story, and that, that's like I think that's I think that was my second favorite from that collection. I think Last Wrong got number one, but it's just such a good closer of that book, especially since it begins with Jerusalem's Lot. So it's just such a good bookend for that for sure. Um, I'm not a fan of his short stories at all. I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm a fan of short stories in general. Yeah, because I just like the I like being on a whole trip. Like I never finished the bizarre bad dreams. Everyone kept telling me like. It's not that good compared to those other ones, but yeah. Night Shift, I got all the way through, and I, Last World Run on the Ladder was a really, really good one. Oh yeah, um, and even like a lot of them, I, I was, I was, you know, drawn in and I was interested, but you know, I, I guess it's a telling of a good story if you wished it was longer. Like I wish One for the Road could have been a whole freaking novel. I oh, I know, loved it. I know. Yeah, and I, I, someone was, um, we had a, a director last year that was trying to get it uh, made into like an adaptation. And it was going to have like Lance Henriksen in it and, and everything, and it never came to fruition, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I, I've, I've it's I've, one I've, of the dollar babies, right? Yeah, it was someone would try was trying to to make it, and it just didn't come to it. Just didn't happen, and um, I, it's such a bummer because I really want to see that happen. Like I would actually just love a new adaptation of Salem's Lot, and like maybe like one for the road, and the short story Jerusalem's Lot could be like supplementary material that they can kind of put on. Um, you know, maybe like a Netflix or something like that, or just, I just think there's a lot you can get from Salem's lot, especially if you wanted to like make a proper adaptation. The problem I feel is they did the vampires thing in the aughts and I feel like everyone's kind of vampired out, but God, if you can just bring it back to its core, it, I, I just feel like it could be a great adaptation right now. Um, especially since it's, oh, definitely. it's one of his most iconic books and like there hasn't really been. I, I mean, I love Toby Hooper's version for TV, but, and there's some really scary moments in that, but I still think that you can have like a, a definitive like feature film adaptation that would work for that for sure. Um, and it just hasn't as, happened. As iconic as Barlow is, I mean, I have a Barlow tattoo on my arm, but oh, nice. the, it, it's not a, it's not a proper reference, representation of him at all. No, but no. He's very well spoken and he's like Nosferatu, I believe in, in the movies more than he is. Yes. Yeah. Barlow's more like Dracula. Yeah. No. And, and that's like definitely, definitely a change. Yeah, I think he definitely like tunnel vision on Dracula when he was writing Barlow. Yeah, no, totally. Well, what is your grossest moment in a Stephen King book? 
right. Well, I'm definitely going to the go-to, which is that scene from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really all we need to say for that one. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. <laughs> and, and then the degloving scene in Gerald's game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's still like... I, I cringed. I had to put it down. I had to put the book... I put my bookmark in. I put the book down. Um, and I, I, I had to like, sit there for a minute. But I could feel like my, my skin crawling and like, oh, my God. And that was the same thing for Pet Cemetery, where he goes to the cemetery to, to dig up... Uh, what's his son's name? Oh, Gage. Yeah, like... Yeah, sorry. It, yeah, it, no. I blame the cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. No, it's fine. Uh, yeah, that, that yeah, whole sequence yeah. is... Again, that was another one. Had to close the book and put it, just put it aside for a minute just to recollect myself. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Gerald, that, that scene was just... Because you don't Again, think about it. I like, put myself in. I put myself in that scene, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want that. That's not something I want to be part of." <laughs> no, no, because it's one of those things where you're like, "Oh yeah, that would happen." Like that, that the the skin does come off like that. Like that's so fucking gross. Uh, it's, and it's I thought the way they did it in the movie was awesome. Um, which is, oh uh, yeah, you know, like, it's such a it, it's such a like na like nasty fucking scene that uh, it gets you. Uh, no, that was a good adaptation too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I I thought Mike Flanagan is. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does with Doctor Sleep, um, for sure. But which actually, hey, leads me to the next question: your favorite adaptation? Uh, Green Mile. That's yeah, the, that's the that's a one one movie answer. Yeah, I fig- I actually I figured that was the case, but um, well, this Sorry, is kind of. I love Shawshank. Oh, Shawshank's great. I mean, it's it, it's kind of. Yeah. I I feel like Shawshank is like. It's like when you say like, "Oh, who's the greatest band?" and like, you know, you can't, like, you can't, nobody can answer the Beatles and stuff like that because it's just such an easy go-to. So it's like, yeah, well, Shawshank, obviously, like, that's an obvious. Everyone talks about Shawshank. So, um, but I do think that like Green Mile is kind of like, like, you're, like you're talking about Needful Things being underrated. Like, I feel like Green Mile is definitely underrated. I feel like people sleep on that one for sure. And I and I, and it comes from the same guy, you know, Frank Darabont did that one also. And it's just there's a glow to that movie that definitely is in line with what you see with Shawshank for sure. Uh, it might be a little bit too a lot. Um, long for some people, but I, I love it. I love that movie. Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what, is, what about your least favorite book? What's one that you just like finish and you're like, fuck this. <laughs> like, I don't need this. Um, my answer should probably be most of them, but <laughs> now I'll, 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 before I answer this, I'll preface this with saying there's a lot I haven't seen of fear of like, I just don't want to waste my time because I'm afraid it's going to be so bad. Like, I feel like there are more bad adaptations than there are good ones. Um, yeah. But I'm, I, I have to go with The Shining. Yeah. And I know you guys really love The Shining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people who are like, it's not like the book. Um, because like, there are plenty of adaptations like Lord of the Rings where I feel like changes are all for the better. But I feel like he, he just did not, care what he was doing <laughs> you know with the shining he did not i forget his name stanley kubrick yeah no he he um kubrick he, right kubrick? yeah 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 i i don't know i i love what he does with it i i, I mean it's it's definitely up in my my favorite but that is yeah that i mean that's a that's a um it's a, definitely a rare pick for in that respect for sure um but not so rare because i mean a lot of you know people that really do love that story king included uh, they they do have a like you know problems with it because I mean it, it does Jack Nicholson does come off as crazy from the get go you know um in but there's still something about it that just has stuck with me forever and um I think a lot of it is just I think he distilled a lot of the the themes and 
in the story and the narrative itself into something that was his own, which is, you know, it, it's definitely polarizing for sure. And I, and I always wonder if we'll ever get, um, another remake. Like I know that a lot of people have talked about like what would happen if Christopher Nolan tried to actually do like another remake, like an actual remake of it. But I, I just think it's so iconic at this point that it's so hard to do. Um, well, we've, you could have said the same thing for it. Yeah, that's true. And look what it, they did. Re, they redid it. And yeah. even Pet Cemetery, like these are, these are like staples of like, you know, the eighties and nineties and now they're getting remade. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them remaking the shining. Yeah. Especially they're remaking everything. So that's true. I mean, we're probably going to get everything at this point. We'll probably get another remake of Carrie, even though we just had one five years ago. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what about your, what about book though? Like what, what is a book that you, that you read of his that just didn't really, that didn't do anything for you? Um, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Oh, interesting. I haven't read that one yet. I, I have it on my shelf, but I just, that's, that's, I'm waiting until we get to that one. But what was it that you didn't like about it? I just don't understand the point of it. Like I yeah. kept reading it. And I was like, all right, it's going to get to the point. It's going to get to the point. And it's over. I just, I mean, a lot of people love the girl who loved, a lot of people love the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Try saying that one 10 times fast. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it just didn't do it for me. And uh, I don't think I got into arguments with people, but I've mentioned it to people on Instagram and they're like, what? Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from this conversation because clearly I've uh, struck a chord. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, that, 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 that's, that's fine. I, I think I, I definitely turn heads whenever I say I don't like Duma Key and for a while I, I, you know, I definitely pissed off some people with my review for Christine earlier this year. So, um, you know, which I just don't, I think haven't read a, Christine. Eh, it's, it, it's a little bloated. I, it's, it's, it's just too much. And he shifts perspectives in weird ways. It, like the first half is with the, the main character who gets the car and then it switches over to his friend and then it switches back to, it's just like, it's too much. And I just, it was one of the more, arduous reads that I have had to do for the podcast. And I, we got a lot of flack for it when we did the, re the review because it's such an iconic book and people love it, but you know, Hey, everyone's got an opinion. So <laughs> you can't, you know, yeah, you guys blasted Firestarter pretty hard and I was confused for that one. <laughs> yeah. We weren't a big on that one either. I, I, I wasn't on that episode, but I, I agree with the sentiments a little bit just cause it seems as if, um, I don't know. I, I think that its reputation is so big and it's one of it's for, for many, it's one of the first books that people talk about when they mention King. And so going into it, I was really excited and I don't know. I, I just didn't, it just didn't do much for me because I, I think a lot of it was, we spent so much time at this, like at, at the, um, you know, at the shop and I kind of, I, I think I just wanted a little bit more out of it. And, you know, it was right after stranger things also. And I feel like that definitely had a, it just felt like I was just regurgitating a lot of story, even if it was a lot of the source material. But um, and also the some of the characters in there are a little like, wait, what? Like, um, uh, God, I can't remember his name now. But one of the main guys, one of the main assassins in the mo in the in the book, it's just like it's a little too much for me. But um, but yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, it, some win some lose some with it. For the most part, it's a win for me. I, I they're they're really times in reading king where i'm just like oh god i don't i don't need this i mean i wasn't a huge fan of elevation but um we could save that for another oh, yeah, time so i i had i'd written this down yeah to specifically ask you but now that we're talking about books that you guys didn't really like 
in caps underline I wrote ask why they all hate Doctor Sleep. Okay, I've I haven't read Doctor Sleep yet, so I I can't per, I can't answer that per se. But everything I've heard about the book, um, you know, my my girlfriend just read it a few weeks ago, so she detailed detailed it to me, and she said it would be a great movie because it it does read you know very cinematically. But I know Randall and Justin are very um, and even Caffrey aren't big on it because I feel like it's just overcomplicated. And I think that's their reasoning of for it. It's it's just taking like it's this the whole geriatric um traveling like energy soul sucking vampire thing and just seems to detract from like the actual story at hand, which is where you have like, you know, Danny who is who is struggling with, you know, his own shining and all this other it just I think that's what they without spoiling too much, I think that was they they thought it was just too overcomplicated and it could have been just a, a more simple story and um and I think that's where they were at with yeah. that. Because for me, it's not like a book I didn't like. Like it was yeah. not a book I loved. It's just like a book that's there. I feel personally, he maybe didn't really need to revisit Danny Torrance, but if it's something he wants to do, he's allowed to. Yeah, yeah. But like, I listen to the podcast, and every time you guys it comes up, it's like it slams. Oh yeah, no, because so, I think it's I think it's strictly the um, the energy vampires that they go off of for sure. Because just the way that it's like it's just such a bizarre conceit, and I think that they. It's it's such an easy like king thing to like kind of pull out and be like, what the hell was he thinking here? Um, because yeah, well, that's a lot. There's a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I ex- actually, I'm actually excited to read it though. Like you know, I asked you guys on Twitter, and somebody I don't know if it was you or somebody responded. You'll find out in this month of this year. Like, oh yeah, no, that was Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably Justin or me, or like because it's so far away from now. Because I really want to get there's some books that I've read some of his more recent books that I'm dying to go through. Like I love, like you had mentioned 112263. That's my second, maybe it's probably my third favorite book of his now after like dead zone and, um, a lot and uh, pet cemetery, just cause that book just floored me. I mean, I was, I was in tears, uh, all throughout it. Just, I couldn't believe he could do that. Um, and that was really the first sign, even over like the body, which I'd read in Shawshank previously, that was really the first one that just made me go like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe he had it in him. And this, and this late in the game, I mean, it's just, it's that, that, that's a book that, you know, that could be someone's sole, you know, namesake. And it, this is his, what, like 50th book or something like that, or 48th book or something. It's just wild. It's for me. I, I was just blown away. But, well, you know that Joe Hill wrote the, um, the ending, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And which is, it's so good. And I, and I've read the original one that he had and it's, not bad. I mean, it's not a bad King ending because he's had some bad King endings, but it's, it's not bad. But oh, God, no. that, the one That's that he one did is I, great. Like, you know. If King struggles somewhere, it, he it, sometimes he's not the greatest closer. Yeah. Because so, when I read 112263, the ending blew me away. And then my friend's like, you know, Joe Hill wrote that too. I haven't read the original ending. Um, but when he, my friend told me it was Joe Hill, and I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I figured the one that really stood out to me wasn't really him. <laughs> well, it's so elegant too. You know, like he, the the way that he, he brings everything to a close is just absolutely gorgeous. And I think, I think by then I think my, my, my hands were shaking cause I was just like crying so much. Cause I just was like, uh, I can't go into it cause I don't want to spoil it for any of the listeners that haven't, you know. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I'm doing all my rereads on audible now. Yeah. This, who was time to reread books? There's so many freaking books out there. So yeah. I figured, I want to get into audiobooks. I'll, I just did Salem's Lot. I'm doing the Lord of the Rings now. Oh, wow. Um, Who does the Lord of the Rings narration? Is it anyone um, big? I don't remember. It was done in the 90s. Oh, it was okay. probably whatever, whatever was done to tape was just you know transferred over to digital. Yeah. 
Um, it's all right. Um, we'll talk about Tolkien in a minute with the next question you're going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 112263 is definitely on the list. Uh, Lanasferatu is going to be my, my Christmas listen or read, whatever you want to call it. Um, but eleven twenty two sixty three is definitely on there, along yeah. with the Dark Tower. I want to I want to revisit that. I do. Too. I, I kind of wish I was doing. I was revisiting the Dark Tower with the the podcast. I had just finished it only a few years ago, so I was kind of um, towered out. And especially covering the movie last year, I was just I was like, all right, I don't want to go over this anymore. I'm done. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about drawing of the three the other day, and I was like, fuck, I wish I was rereading it right now. But oh, um, yeah. drawing of the three is probably one of my, one of my favorite books. Man. Love yeah. it. Love that it's, book. It, it's it's borderlining my top 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so much fun. But, um, speaking of, uh, drawing of the three, uh, our next section, other worlds than these, who are some of your favorite authors that you enjoy reading? You just, uh, mentioned Tolkien and you have a ton of, uh, Tolkien merch, um, in your Instagram feed for sure. So it definitely oh, yeah, speaks I to that. A, I have a whole shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm going to go back to that story I said I had about thrift stores. Yeah, how people throw away good stuff they don't know they have. Yeah, I found a first American print of the Silmarillion for two dollars and fifty cents. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah, if you and so in one of my lead photos, if you go through my uh, my my feed, like yeah. I'm not touching it. It's never being opened. Oh like, yeah, I'm a, I, I I picked it up. And I was like, this has to be like I knew it was old. And then I opened it. I, I Googled first American print, and it was that photo. And I'm like, this can't be it. I opened it, and it says right there, first American print. That's so wild. Like, $2.50. Yeah, that's probably my ultimate find right now. Because, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. God, that's awesome. Um, but I do have a, 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 a tough relationship with Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. Because his, I love the Lord of the Rings. I love all the mythology. I love all the history. I love all of it. But sometimes reading Tolkien is... Is trying, like I've I haven't gotten to, I've never read Return of the King, and that's kind of the reason why I'm listening to him. Um, because I read Fellowship, I read Two Towers, and it, I just keep telling myself every year I'm going to read Return of the King. So I was like, oh, listening to it will be easier. I'll be able to get through it. And now that I'm approaching Return of the King, I'm like, maybe I need to do another book before I do Return of the King because I don't know if I can handle it. Like it, a lot of it's very very long winded, like. I love, I like I said, I love it all, but like some of it's just very, very difficult to get through. Like passages where I, I'm like zoning out, and I don't know why I just read. Yeah, I, I had a problem with uh, getting through um, Two Towers. I think it was. I, I feel like that was the book that really, yeah, it was like similarly just kind of a struggle for me. Like I, I, I just like, I was like, Oh my God, like his fellowship just goes right out of the gate. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh wait, we got to stop for a second. And then, and it, which is funny because I actually love the movie and, and return of the King is actually the one that I struggle with as a film, but as a book, I actually really enjoyed return of the King, which is weird. I don't know. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but well, I definitely look forward to finishing it finally. But like I said, even listening to it, I'm like, I need a break. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. And yeah, he just, he, he's, he's like King in the sense where he just has to keep building and building and building, but it's even more. And it just, it, at some point you're just like, can we just keep going? <laughs> like, do we have to keep yeah. going into the history of this stuff? Like it, it's great in this, in, in world building and, and has certainly aided to creating the mythology and the fan base for him. But, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And another one is actually the guy I'm taking a break for Joe Hill. I, I just, you got to figure you love, I don't know who would like, likes King and doesn't like Joe Hill. 
<laughs> I am dying to read his stuff. Um, I've not read it yet. And I, I'm dying to read like Strange Weather. Um, and I'm dying to read um, uh, was it is it Nosferatu? Is that the one that you're is that is that was is it Nosferatu though? Is that the Nosferatu you're referencing for the winter break or is it yes, Nos- okay. Nosferatu. Yeah, so okay. if you're looking for like a out of the gate read, yeah, like Guns Blazing, go for like Nosferatu. Okay. But I, I'm pretty sure like that would be the equivalent of reading like it. Everything else is like, you know, below, <laughs> you know, not as good. Like uh, Jones Hill's other stories are, are good, but like Nosferatu, that's the first one I read by hand and everything else was like, yeah, but it's not Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to, you know, I have a David Lynch um, autobiography that I have to finish up for before we get into misery. So hopefully if I could squeeze it in, I might, I might knock it out. Cause it seems, it seems like a relatively breezy read for sure. So, um, I feel like I'd have some and time for, for a horror read. It's a good Christmas read. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely yeah. look for it. Cause I, I, it's been sitting in my collection for a while. I just haven't been able to get to it. So, um, yeah, I would, I'll definitely get to it. But, uh, what, in terms of like King's dominion, uh, coming up, what are you, what are you most excited for? So I, I had pet cemetery cause yeah, well, that's going to be exciting. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I also have a, a I also wrote the ifs, because if you look at Stephen King's IMDb, it's mm-hmm. like 46 things in production. <laughs> yeah. But as you know, in production means it might never get done. Oh, yeah. So I wrote, I have for It's, uh, it's I'm sorry, It's, <laughs> Joyland and Revival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really psyched for Revival, especially since uh, I, th- I thought for a while that was going to be the one that we got um, over, say, the the stand adaptation he was doing or i guess because of the new mutants josh boone got just locked down and hasn't been able to move on from it but uh, he was working on revival and at one point i think even like russell crowe was attached to it and all this other you know it, it seemed like it was going to happen but um that would be awesome i would i would love for that to, to come out because that, that's supposed to be a terrifying book for sure so have you read Revival? No, uh, my co-host Justin like loves it though. He he just said it, that's like one like of his a, favorite later era King books. It was like a sneaky good one. Yeah, <laughs> like I was like, I'm gonna read it because it's the new Stephen King book, and I was like, oh, I'm one day in, and I'm already like three quarters of the way through it. <laughs> that's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Well, I well, uh, I, I think those two could be good. I'm excited for it, Chapter Two, even though I'm a little hesitant that. The, they're not going to have Kerry Fukunaga as the screenwriter anymore, but yeah, I mean, it'll be, an, it'll be a fun year. Next year is going to be great. I mean, we're probably going to hear more about Castle Rock in the next few months about what's going to happen with the second season for that too. So um, I'm sure 2019 uh, will definitely, you know, uh, be true to its name uh, or its number. <laughs> so yes. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of 19, <laughs> if they can do something correctly with the dark tower. Yes. Oh my that gosh. Has to be, that has to that has to be a TV show. Well, they're right. working on Whoever it right now. It. You know, like Greg, I believe it was Greg Nicotero. Uh, w- 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 yeah, one of the Walking Dead guys alums. He's uh, working with Amazon right now on a script for it. So it's going to go back to the original format it should be, which is television. And it should be a series. Like, it should have been an HBO show. It should have been what Westworld is right now. It should Like, we're coming in right after the, the Game of Thrones is over. But whatever. It's, you know. And is Idris Elba attached? Uh, you know, it's still unclear because it says that he's still attached and it's going to be like Wizard. Like Originally, it was supposed to be like the Wizard and Glass book and it was going to yeah, somehow still that, yeah. attach to these movies. But I think at this point, they're just going to totally fully reboot it, which is unfortunate because I really liked Idris Elba as Roland. I, like, I thought he was really yeah, good. Yeah, I like... You know. Yeah, Idris Elba was good, but if you're going to include uh, 
Vendetta. Yeah. Like that's kind of kind of interesting, like because there's a certain dynamic as far as her being racist towards white people and the character she like, she's pretty racist towards them in in a drug of three. And yeah. There's a there's, there would be how they're gonna happen with edges. Yeah, I don't know how they yeah, do how it. Pull that dynamic. I think we'd have to they'd have to do some rearranging and and maybe he would have a, a different persona when he goes into the real world or so. I don't know how they would. At, at this point, it might not even happen at this point. So it doesn't really matter. But yeah, um, yeah it's just unfortunate because I, I the, 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 the casting I thought was actually great. It's just the people that were behind it were just not so good. I mean, we, we rant and rave about um, Akiva Goldstein nonstop. So I can't stand yeah. him that bad. But whatever. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what happens in there. I, I think the Dark Tower will get a you know a really proper adaptation eventually. I, I think it'll it's just bound to happen. Uh, you know, it took a while for Game of Thrones to finally be adapted, and I think that the movie is just such an afterthought in people's minds that it doesn't matter if they rebooted it already. I think it wouldn't mind. Um, no, I don't think anyone have a single problem. No, no. But uh, looking, fact, most people are hoping for it. Oh, I, I think so. Yeah, no, totally. But um, you know, speaking of looking forward to stuff, uh, how about uh, next year for you? What, what do you got coming up? Uh, well, I started working on a novel, and then it ended up being I needed to take a break, so I'm releasing a novella in 2019. Oh, nice. Um, and then I'm hopefully getting back to the novel. I think I got a little you know over my head at some point where, because I was like 400 pages into the manuscript and i was like i don't even know if i'm at the halfway mark yet so i needed to like put that down and write something more i don't say light and theme because it's definitely not but something smaller and easier so i had i released a novella back in 2017 so i'm going two novellas back to back before i put out another novel oh wow those are my plans (laughs) well you're as prolific as king this is amazing (laughs) that's wild Ah, i try (laughs) Well, where, where where can everyone find your uh, your works, and where can they buy them? And are you going to have any uh, cool sales coming up for Christmas? <laughs> uh, well, I just had a sale for Black Friday nice. on my website, but my website, JasonPellegriniBooks.com, um, just regularly throughout the year, I offer um, all my books are signed. You get a bookmark, um, and it I have bundle options at checkout where I believe it's. 25% off what it would be if you purchase them uh, individually. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, you know, keep them by stuff at an f- affordable rate. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Well, that's great. Well, who I mean, doesn't love a signed book, right? Oh, I, I mean, I love signed books. Yeah. Jason, I, I want to say thank you so much for, you know, joining us today. I, I'd love it if you, uh, you know, come back in the pod sometime next year. I mean, we're going to be talking about a, a few of your favorite books, especially, you know, needful things. So, Maybe uh, you could hop hey, on an episode and dissect with us. No, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that concludes this episode, this chapter, this installment of Collecting King. We're going to be back next week with, uh, actually, I don't know yet. I think it's going to be A Soul's Midnight or it could possibly be The Drawing of the Three. Either way, I think you win out on that one. So until then, long days. And pleasant nights. All right. See you next week. I got some hot friends.
Consequence Podcast Network.